Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Baked and Awake Show. It is November 13th, 2018, at the time of this recording, and I believe this is episode 60 of the show. I'm your host, Steve, and I like to let everyone know up front, especially if you're a new listener to the podcast, always welcome. Thank you for finding your way here to spend some time with us. Also, keep in mind, this podcast isn't super explicit, but we do smoke weed on the show. Um, We record from a legal region and uh, usually almost always from my own home. And uh, that's a big part of the show. So keep it in mind if you're listening at work, maybe, you know, or listening in mixed company with young people. That's something that you're going to run into here pretty much week in and week out. We're not doing any big dab rips today, but get a joint rolled up and we're going to smoke that soon together. Also, in the way of housekeeping, I'd like to let you know where you can find the show. You can find The Baked and Awake Show at DamagedGoodsInc.com, the independent podcast network that uh, my show is a member of, along with several other wonderful and uh, unique different shows, including Damaged Goods, the show, Daddy Issues, uh, Claytime in the Basement, and my friends over at uh, Needless to Say. Uh, Definitely check the Damaged Goods Network and the other shows there out when you get the chance. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes for you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but we do have a show Patreon page uh, for Baked and Awake, and you can find that at patreon.com forward slash baked and awake show. I've talked about it a little bit here and there in the past. Would love your support. Stop by and visit. It's an opportunity for you to financially support the show if you'd like. And it can make a big difference to us as we keep working towards better and better content here in the future. Speaking of better content, help me, of course, stay up to date on things. Help me, of course, come up with new and awesome ideas for things to talk about. Email me. Visit the website, bakedinawake.com. You can find ways to get in touch with me there, but you can definitely, you know, like a, like a contact us form. You can also hit me direct from your email client in your phone, whatever you're doing. Talk to us at bakedinawake.com. Uh, for those of you who are already supporting the show over at Patreon, including uh, friends like uh, my friends over at the Bones and Tubs podcast, uh, my friends over at Top Tree, uh, and several others, uh, you guys all know who you are. Uh, really appreciate the help. Really appreciate the support. It's more a vote of confidence than anything else at the scales that we're at right now. But um, that really, really matters. And I want to thank you for that support. So, uh, Speaking of support, another great way, non-financial, that you can support the show if you enjoy the podcast maybe this isn't your first time listening and you know what we do here um on the show uh whatever platform you're listening on there are several out there that do have different rating systems there are ways to subscribe and to share the podcast i ask you of course please share it with your coolest friends share it with your most curious friends uh share it with your weirdest friends um and share it with your most amazing and intellectually stimulating friends and family please 
Um, and uh, wherever you see an opportunity to review the podcast, whether that's in the iTunes uh, native app, which you can do that on your iOS devices uh, right from within the app, um, or whether it's um, from one of the other platforms that are out there, I think Spreaker and a few others have like star rating systems that you can also apply to podcasts. I don't know how detailed of a review you're able to leave on all of them, but everything like that helps a lot in terms of getting the podcast in front of new ears. So um, look for ways, whatever you're catching the podcast on, look for some little way to flag it or review it or thumbs up it, uh, or as I say, to, to share it. Super appreciate it. Thank you guys. Um, all right, that's about all the housekeeping for today. Let's make sure we're recording. Do we know what the heck we're doing? It looks like we're recording. I see wiggles and squiggles. You always want to see those. So um, I have a really cool story today from a gentleman named Mike Adams, whom we've read a story of his in the past, and I'm still digging through my show notes, and it's revealing... Uh, a shortcoming of my own filing system for show notes for the show that I know for a fact that, as you guys all know, no matter what I cover here on the show, I do try to give attribution, uh, both verbally and in the notes, and make sure that we know where we got the story so that you can track back to it yourselves and read up on it. But uh, Mike Adams is a High Times contributor uh, and a contributor to Bro Bible as well as Forbes.com. And uh, we're jumping right into a really interesting story that I'm sort of putting my own label on the front end of, and then we'll read uh, into his story itself. But I'm calling this Unpopular Opinion Cannabis Doesn't Cure Cancer. Uh, I ran into this story, I think I follow him on Instagram, Mike, because of the story that I've previously covered of his on on the podcast here and i'm really just dying like a dog here because i can't figure out what the topic was specifically that i got from him i looked and thought it was a cannabis hyperemesis uh story but it wasn't so i've got to dig back and and find out where i've used poor mike before because it was just in the last few months um and he's a really sharp guy by the by the sound of it and has been reporting on cannabis in a lot of places for a lot longer than I've been podcasting about it. That's for sure. The title of his story, and this came out last month, you know, October 8th, um, was on this, in this case, it was on Forbes.com. He entitles it, Science Tells Us Marijuana Doesn't Kill Cancer. So does real life. And this is a pretty quick read. Let's get this lit. Let's see, we we'll go for fire here. think we're smoking some Oregon Silver Haze from uh, the garden that I work for, Weed Plus Tacoma, today. I won't call it a full-blown strain of the week, but I'll include some information about Oregon Silver Haze in the show notes for you. It's a great strain. Definitely sativa-leaning strain. 
All right, he begins. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This tidbit of information may have already been readily apparent by the droves of people dressed in bright pink and neon green shirts racing for the cure down your streets a couple of weekends ago. The Susan G. Coleman Foundation has organized this legion of charitable runners now for the past 20 years, raising hundreds of millions of dollars for cancer research. And yet, try as they might, more than 8 million people from around the globe continue to drop dead each year from this dreaded disease. Because, well, science has yet to discover an actual cure. In some circles, it is not uncommon to hear conspiracy theory chatter suggesting that a cure for cancer was actually discovered many years ago. But this life-saving solution, plant or magic ball, whatever the holy grail of Grandma Killer Curses is supposed to be, was ultimately shut down by the U.S. government. It is now being kept in a super-secret vault in the basement of the Pentagon. But why? To hear some people tell it, because the pharmaceutical companies, that's why. The American healthcare industry is a $3 trillion market. Chemo treatments, cancer drugs, all of the innovative methods concocted to help increase a person's chances for survival cost out the ears. But to cure cancer, well, that's just bad for business. So they, Big Pharma, focus on selling expensive treatments rather than offering a cure. Now that I got some of you thinking, is the government really sandbagging us on a cancer cure? Here's something else to consider. Some of the same people who believe the government wants to keep Americans sick and on the verge of death are mostly convinced that the be-all, end-all remedy for cancer is cannabis. There's been a lot of discussion about marijuana and cancer over the years. So much that it has inspired scientific minds to dig deeper into the subject. But the results have been a mixed bag of noise. Some say the herb shows promise. While others argue there is nothing to it but hype and wishful thinking. So just a quick Steve break. You know, we picked this story because this is an area that we live in every day, right? I mean, I work in the cannabis field. We are in the in the recreational uh, market here in Washington. We're, of course, prohibited from making any um, explicit claims of health, you know, benefits of cannabis or treatment of symptoms of disease or anything of the sort. And, you know, could be subject for fines if, you know, products from our companies are shown to make those claims in terms of, you know, packaging, marketing, any of it. I personally, of course, uh, would always want to uphold a standard for myself of not making those sort of claims either um, here on the podcast. While we want to talk about cannabis and its potential health benefits uh, and explore that question, 
it's risky, right? You don't want to be dispensing medical advice that you're patently not qualified to provide. Uh, putting yourself forward as a expert on something that hasn't been demonstrated yet uh, fully to do what everybody claims it does. And I'm not saying that cannabis isn't an effective treatment for a lot of medical illnesses and needs, okay? Um, so let's let's get back to it, though. But I wanted to sort of add my two cents on that a little bit. Okay. Stories claiming the U.S. government's Department of Health finally admits that marijuana kills cancer, that was in quotes, are definitely part of the confusion. Politicus USA published this misleader in 2015, that being that misleading article. It was a hot article when it first started making its rounds. It was so widely popular, in fact, that it and other reports based on its general premise still pop up from time to time on social media feeds. At first glance, that seems legit enough. The story indicates that although the government has spent decades demonizing marijuana, maintaining that it has, quote, no known medicinal value, the National Institutes of Health has quietly acknowledged on its website, cancer.gov, that marijuana kills cancer. However, it was later determined by Steve here, everybody's favorite, fact-checking website Snopes that the story was largely exaggerated. Uh, because the article making the claim that the NCI, quote, admitted that, quote, cannabis kills cancer, uses information from a document that has no legal bearing on federal drug policy, and because that information does not in any way prove that cannabis can be a viable treatment for cancer, we rank this claim as false. <coughs> Around the same time, another story emerged, entitled, Hollywood Stuntman Claims Cannabis Oil Cured His Stage 4 Cancer. This one in particular asserted that an established Hollywood stuntman by the name of Mike Chavarria, who worked on hundreds of big-budget film and television productions from Iron Man to Sons of Anarchy, won his battle with the evil C-word through the use of cannabis oil. In the article, Mark said, quote, It's kind of gross, but I literally feel like I was pooping the tumors out every time I went to the restroom. What I believe happens with the oil is it makes like a shellac on the tumors, and it doesn't let it grow, doesn't let it breathe, doesn't let it eat. Nothing. I think it was slowly but surely peeling away at the tumors like an onion. And just like that, he was cancer-free. Now, here's the thing about the Chavarria story. It was not fake news. How do I know? Because I'm the journalist who conducted the interview and had it published with High Times. I spent a great deal of time on the phone with Mark discussing this supposed miracle brought on through the use of cannabis. And by the time I submitted the article to my editor, I was convinced that marijuana could cure cancer. 
after the piece was published, the madness began. I began receiving countless emails from the husbands and wives of cancer patients from all over the world, many of which were at the end of their rope, telling me that they had seen Mark's story and were hoping for some guidance so that they, too, could be cancer-free. I'm just a writer, I would respond. Mark is the man you need to talk to. I later asked Mark for permission to send the messages his way. I mean, who better, of course. He was just that good of a dude. A really down-to-earth, kind-hearted guy. So he was happy to help point folks in the right direction. But cannabis did not cure Mark. Sadly, he died in 2017, two years after we told the, mar- the world that marijuana had healed him of stage 4 colorectal cancer. Sometimes I'm riddled with guilt because I fear that, while it was unintentional, I may have given dozens of families false hope convincing them that cannabis was the key to a long, cancer-free life. I still don't feel right about that. Mark's wife, Alyssa, later told me that the High Time story changed their lives. So, it wasn't for nothing. And who knows? Maybe some of the others who contacted me during that time got lucky and made it out alive. But I never received any follow-up messages or details of their success, so I'm assuming the worst. Unfortunately, there is no evidence that marijuana cures cancer. Science tells us this. As is often the case in a lot of these stories that we read, he's got... He's a well-researched writer here. He's got links to things like this statement. Unfortunately, there's no evidence that marijuana cures cancer. The link in this case takes you to theconversation.com, which we've read some little pieces from here before. Their little tagline is like academic rigor journalistic flair. So um, that... You know, you can go deeper as you read his story here. Everything leads, you know, to a little bit more. So, Claims that there is solid proof that cannabis or cannabinoids can cure cancer is highly misleading to patients and their families and builds a false picture of the state of progress in this area, according to Cancer Research UK. Again, a link. Another link here for this next reference. Sure, it is true that some studies have shown that cannabis can assist in killing certain types of cancer cells when used in conjunction with chemotherapy. But this research has a long way to go before it is substantiated. And I don't know how far I knew, you know, um, the actual anti-cancer claims uh, and testing had gotten because I would assume also that if it was that successful at all, it would be rushing forward, you know, from all corners uh, uh, of pharma, you know, with people trying to bring out products. In other markets, if, if they can't do it here, right? So, um, 
like the UK, like wherever. So, on the other hand, cancer has been used for decades to help ease the many symptoms associated with cancer. Science supports this as well. So science does support this, and, and, we, and I think, you know, we're going to hear a bunch listed here that we do agree with very much, right, very strongly. Nausea and vomiting, appetite issues, fatigue, anxiety, insomnia, those sorts of things that are associated with either cancer or chemotherapy. Those things are very well treated with cannabis. Dr. Jordan Tischler told WBUR earlier this year in uh, This Moment in Cancer segment. I noticed there they didn't mention anti-seizure and they didn't mention like anti-inflammatory or antibacterial or antibiotic, any of that. Uh, all interesting. Um, and I mean, we're talking about medical efficacy too, not nutrition uh, you know, or potential health benefits of, like, consuming it, so. In addition, a study published last year by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which consists of some of the country's top scientific minds, provided a detailed analysis entitled The Health Effects of Cannabis and Cannabinoids, showing definitive evidence that marijuana is an effective treatment for pain, nausea, spasms, and insomnia. So spasms borders on, you know, antispasmatic is almost anti-seizure, maybe. See, that's why I should shut up about this and read the story. Researchers found no proof that the herb could cure cancer. Cannabis is a lot of things to a lot of people, but without more research, we cannot be certain it possesses the power to provide cancer patients with anything more than some relief from the worst of the symptoms. Maybe one day that will change. Uh, here again, Mike's credit is Mike Adams is a contributing writer for Forbes, Cannabis Now, and Bro Bible. His work has also appeared in High Times. Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, so... Good stuff, interesting stuff, once again, from Mr. Adams. I'm going to find the story that we read from him previously and try to add it to the show notes for you, okay? Um, several links in that article to other stories that informed those statements and those observations. Uh, and I'll just leave it, you know, more or less at that for now. I think more research does need to be made everywhere. Uh, and we need to be careful not to believe the hype and get too carried away with giving any of ourselves, any of ourselves, false hope that this is a panacea that's literally going to add, you know, years to your life and reverse acute conditions that are already running and happening in your in your body right I mean there's preventative and then there's a remedy so all right
Next up, we have something that I found really interesting, and I had to I had to look up this bit of political jargon. And forgive me, we're going to get just abstractly political here for a few, and talk about a term that I recently either became reaware of, um, or became aware of as a thinking, you know, conscious. Uh, cognizant adult for the first time and that is what the heck is push polling all right we've all heard of political attack ads these we are very familiar with regardless of whether you are of voting age or not if you still get broadcast television in your home of any sort you will have some time during an election cycle like the recent midterms here in the usa seen some of these um Radio, another medium where political ads are a big tool for campaigns to shape the opinion and sway the votes of the public. Print, you know, periodicals and things, no exception to this by any means. At many, a full-page ad has been taken out in newspapers at the local, state, even national level over the years to try to affect the outcomes of elections, you know, for offices from everything, you know, like sanitation district, commissioner, assistant, you know, on up to governors, senators, and presidents. Then we have astroturfing, right? A newer term, uh, where organizations thought to be self-organized grassroots movements turn out to be either secretly or not so secretly supported financially by like evil billionaires bent on running the world. Okay. And I'm like pumping the brakes here. Visualize me holding up my hands. This is a story for another day. Right. Um, and besides a lot of other podcasts cover that kind of topic all the time, much more real political podcasts than, than us. But I had either forgotten about this one or had somehow missed the term itself uh, in the past when, you know, this kind of maneuvering was going on in elections that I was voting in that I somehow hadn't been tracking on uh, this this type of thing called push polling. And it's kind of like how it sounds. Someone calls you on the phone. And this right here might be why I haven't been watching this space that much. Because it's hard to get me on the phone if you're some random number. Like, especially if my caller ID thinks you're a telemarketer or a political call. So, I haven't been, like, caught by a political robocall in years. So. And these push polls, they, they predate robocallers. Automated and automated voice systems that can ask you questions and tell you to use the keypad or use your voice to reply. So this isn't that new. Um, as you'll come to see, I have an example for us. Anyway, you receive a call and it's a person, right? Live or sometimes just a voice. And this person or voice wants to ask a few questions. Okay. You know, they've got you now, you say. Go ahead. Well, as you'll hear in a clip I'm about to play for you, the questions you're about to hear may just be more about you hearing and thinking about them than any answer that you actually give in response to the questions. 
the answers that respondents provide, they're of secondary or even tertiary importance. This is crucial to understand about a push-pull versus like a valid poll. They're less important to simply getting a person to sit through what really amounts to a truculent message in a survey suit. Answers, when generally given, are irrelevant because the poll was designed to implant ideas, not actually gather information for some public institution or some PAC, whomever has identified themselves on the other end of the call, depending on if they even have to. I found a pretty well-written Wikipedia. I don't care. Wikipedia. I'm doing the research here, people, so we can do better. But this is a pretty good article, as you'll see, with lots of examples in it all about push-pulling. And I just want to have a look at a couple of the highlights. But let's play the clip first so you can hear what it's all about. Oh, a quick note on this audio clip, by the way. Searches for examples of push-pulls on the internet will net you just a few examples of this. So uh, one thing that I would like to recommend to all of us moving forward is if you happen to suspect you're participating in anything resembling a call like this, maybe try to record that call if remotely possible. Grab a second device and turn on the voice recorder on it. And let's capture more examples of this because I do think historically they can turn out to be quite important because some crazy shit gets said on some of these calls. Uh, the one that you're going to hear is going to be entirely predictable and expected when you hear what this uh, this uh, bullshit's all about. But what I want to let everybody know is what a weird source this led me to. Found this one on YouTube, but it was posted by like one guy who has zero subscribers he has one subscriber now you guys one subscriber now and this video was uploaded like 11 years ago and it's the only thing he's ever uploaded <laughs> so it's really cool uh in that respect i added it to my youtube channel playlist the baked and awake uh youtube playlist on my baked and awake youtube channel so you can watch this video in full with the notes the publisher's name is jd mort it has been watched a uh, 1100 times nobody had ever given it a thumbs up until me or maybe there was one other thumbs up yeah one comment two years ago on this video it was published back in 2007 up here on YouTube so it's been watched a bunch been commented on once two years ago great job wish everyone would do just that throw it back in their face he has a nice little definition here that does actually kind of point you at the Wikipedia article so we'll get into that but J.D. Moore published this on November 7th 2007 and let's give it a listen. But I thought it was really weird because it's like, where you been, JD, since then? Nobody knows right now. Certainly not me. Mm -hmm. 
Hello? Hello? Hi, my name is Teresa, and I'm calling on behalf of America's Pharmaceutical Companies. This is not a sales or fundraiser call. May I please speak with John? That's me. We're calling because Congress is considering a bill which will make it legal for pharmacies to sell drugs to foreign, from foreign countries to American seniors. Both the Food and Drug Administration and Secretary of Health and Human Services are warning that if importation is allowed, we will be opening our borders to counterfeit drugs. Do you believe that Congress should open our borders to counterfeit drugs from countries like Mexico or China? Um, I don't know. I don't know that much about it. Okay. Um, well, I know Congress is trying to make it legal right now. It's, I, um, I know we receive drugs from, like, um, Canada, but now they're trying to receive uh, prescription drugs from Mexico and China, <clears throat> so um, we're not. We're just calling, asking people: Do you believe that Congress should open our borders to um, counterfeit drugs? Because I know they're coming in. They're not going to be FDA approved, and it's possible they could be uh, contaminated drugs, prescription drugs, and not knowing the side effects. And I don't have a problem with it as long as they're marked as, you know, where they're from. Okay. Um, so you believe Congress should open our borders? Sure. Okay, thank you. You have a wonderful day. You too. All right. Bye. All right. So I thought that was a great example, obviously, of a push-pull just as... I've characterized it so far. It was evident from the audio of that call that the person was really calling to put you in a position where you either, in order to feel, or at the very least, sound, in this case, like I don't know, a patriotic American? The respondent should have perhaps said, well, now that you put it that way, I don't think those borders should necessarily be open to questionable, possibly dangerous, counterfeit drugs from creepy countries like Mexico and China. Even in the case of a savvy person such as JD there, our video poster, who even had the presence of mind to record the call and share it with all of us. It could be argued that the object of the call was achieved. The message was delivered. JD's a little dissident fucker. <laughs> oh goodness bless your heart buddy you're a hero to me alright so that's you know file it under manufactured consent for for us here I think hmm? uh, there'll be some links in the show notes to that uh you know i think i'll i'll just 
I'll point you at the Wikipedia article. You get the idea. Uh, other famous examples uh, as listed, you know, let's just take the United States. George Bush used it in 94 in his uh, run for Texas governor against incumbent Ann Richards. Uh, specifically in that case, callers called uh, voters in, you know, households in Texas and asked, quote, whether they would be more or less likely to vote for Governor Richards if they knew that lesbians dominated on her staff. A little bit more recently, and it's still a ways back, but uh, they, they get closer here. 2000, uh, in the Republican primary, uh, it was alleged George W. Bush's campaign used push polling against the campaign of Senator John McCain. Uh, I do remember reading rumors uh, like smear stories about McCain at this time in print. So again, didn't receive a call, but certainly saw propaganda of different sorts uh, in, in the form of different attack ads. Um, but uh, voters in South Carolina reportedly, and maybe in other places as well, were asked, would you be more likely or less likely to vote for John McCain for president if you knew he had fathered an illegitimate black child? <laughs> Uh, this hypothetical question seemed like a suggestion, although without substance. It was heard by thousands of primary voters. So yeah, I guess they would have called. They would have called in South Carolina because the primary is being held there. McCain and his wife had in fact adopted a girl from Bangladesh. So I don't think he had a baby out of wedlock with a hooker or something like that. That I think was the story at the time. Um, let's see. In 2008, uh, push polls linked Barack Obama to various anti-Israel positions. Um, so, yeah, it just goes. It goes. Uh, Trump used it in 2017 uh, with a push poll sent out uh, to his own supporters, it looks like, titled Mainstream Media Accountability, which included such questions as, do you believe the media unfairly reported on President's Trump's executive order temporarily restricting people from entering our country from nations compromised by radical Islamic terrorism. They also asked, were you aware that a poll was released revealing that a majority of Americans actually supported President Trump's temporary restriction executive order? It looks like very little has been done to try to prevent this or restrict it. Um, state legislature in New Hampshire is trying to restrict the practice. I don't know if they've been successful or not. They have a citation or two here about that. And the New York Times wrote about it. The Parliament of the Northern Territory, Australia, yeah, has legislated to restrict push polling and that during an election, the caller is required to identify his or her name and address. It's awesome how they don't even really have to properly identify themselves. I think the lady at the beginning of that call identified herself as calling on behalf of America's pharmaceutical companies. So she was empowered to represent all of them on this call. Talented young woman. Obviously has a very important role to play. Uh, in the communications uh, arm of those many, many multi-billion dollar corporations. So, uh, yeah, they also reference astroturfing and attack ads, dog whistle politics, fear-mongering, smear campaign. I said manufactured consent, right, and wedge issue. So 
Uh, all sides use this. Uh, Democrats use it as well as Republicans. I heard rumors that the Clinton campaign has employed it uh, in the past, uh, Hillary Clinton in the last election. Um, so I don't think, you know, Democrats are said to be immune to this. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I try to keep it to a level and, and not go too much further with the politics uh, per se for for this show because it's... It's a nasty place, uh, but what this is is a. I, it's like a psychology thing as much as it is a politics thing. It's it's psychology and politics. It's influencing people. As I said, the the thing that came to my mind was manufacturing consent. That's what uh, it smacked of to me. So and thus a valid target for baked and awakes awake files. All right, well, I got I got one last story for you, but uh, check out Push Polling if you haven't uh, ever before, and think about that. Think about how that is being exercised in different ways on you in, in the media that we're consuming. And, and yeah, and then with that, let's just get the tiniest bit weird on the way out. here to smoke surely we have something to smoke all right sweet thanks to the magic of the pause button we not only found something to smoke what did we grab this time super sour diesel gonna be fun all right um but a cup of tea cup of tea drinking um some black tea with yerba mate and my baked and awake podcast mug available at the baked and awake t-shirt shop tpublic.com link in the show notes with honey from our own bees i might add Here we go, bang. Gotta hit the gotta hit the mic stand at least once per episode with my head. <laughs> Alright. Alright, we got a freshly packed bowl and uh to end on a lighter note, let's talk about a wild story of and this came from local news coverage, by the way, here at comonews.com here in Washington State. A mysterious perp mysterious purple glow lights up eastern Washington's night sky. So this story just came out today, the 13th. It's fresh. Oh, I think I got it from one of my alerts. One of my little Google alerts. Finley, Washington. It looked like something out of the X-Files pink and purple glow filled the night sky near Tri-Cities in eastern Washington. We thought maybe the bar that's out there was having some kind of party, said local resident Alicia Dickinson. Purple lights illuminated the sky Sunday night, but it wasn't from a party. And by the way, the image is pretty impressive here on the thumbnail. 
Um, I just watched the full news video sec segment that they did on this. And uh, a lot of images of a really, it's a wild looking sky. Uh, it's like an aurora type effect. It might have been a foggy night. I'm not sure. Um, but the sky is painted purple. Um, so they went on. We were just driving home from the store and we saw just a bright purple light in the sky and we couldn't figure out what it was. The glow also wasn't from a fire or aliens or from a gas leak as one person thought. It just made me think of the movie Hocus Pocus where they have some spell and it makes a bright light in the sky. Dickinson joked. This witness was the investigator. She drove all the way there herself. Dickinson's curiosity drove her all the way to the source itself. But she didn't find the Sanderson sisters casting spells. What was causing all that purple was green. I knew the grow was out there, but I didn't know it had those bright lights on it like that she said. The light's origin? A legal cannabis growing facility off Chemical Road. Folks from Free Plug, Legacy Organics said their LEDs give the plants light needed to grow. They said their facility is under construction and soon the lights will be covered in tarps. Oh, wow. So, I thought that was a great story. And, uh... Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome that she chased it down, too. I think a lot of people might have drove the other direction. Um, I, I, I guess maybe the folks a little closer to that grove might have been a little bit more aware of what was going on in that young woman who maybe lived a few miles away, a couple miles away on the other side of town. Uh, but pretty awesome. Uh, maybe, maybe they got a couple of calls uh, to the news station or to the local authorities asking about it too. So, Finley, huh? All right. And is it Legacy Organics? There we go. We'll put them in the show notes. We'll put the link in the show notes. Another little tidbit for you. I want to let you guys know all about a Friends Podcast here. Super briefly, this is um, the Podcast Builders League Spotlight. And this week's Spotlight from the Podcast Builders League community is Art and Jacob Do America. Every week, Jacob, Art, and Eric bring you a digestible but complete story, and it's always something different. This week, we hear all about the very popular mind-blower simulation theory. Are we living in a computer simulation? Find out now on the latest episode of Art and Jacob Do America. And if you're a podcaster yourself... 
consider joining us on Facebook for some of the best support and help you could ask for in your day-to-day pod grind at the Podcast Builders League. We're closing in on 400 members. Come join the fun and find your own show being featured in an upcoming PBL Spotlight. All right, everybody, that's about all I've got for you for this week. Um, I think we're going to outro with a promo for Art and Jacob, and we'll get back to you next week with some more wild stories. I'm not even going to tell you what I've got yet, and that's not because I don't have anything. Don't think for a moment that I don't have these planned out months in advance with detailed dossiers on everything we're going to present because I don't so but either way you have an amazing week stay safe stay sane don't get push pulled don't let truculent bastards push their opinions on you be oppositionally defiant It's not necessarily a disorder. And remember to smoke indica. And do shit anyway. Do you like annoying advertisements for podcasts you'll never listen to? Well, then you're at the right place because this is an advertisement for the Art Jacob Do America podcast featuring Art, Jacob, and Eric B. Castillo, the dirtiest man on the internet. Hello, do you want to hear two and a half Mexicans talk about subjects that they have absolutely no authority over? Well then, you're in for a treat. Please make sure you listen to our episodes every Sunday night available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeart, Tuned In, wherever the fuck you get your podcast from. Art and Jacob Do America. Fuck yeah!